Into sports. 20 yards out. Urge to shoot. Don't shoot. Oh, what a goal from Fabinho. Wow. Then get into the all-new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologizes to me, I probably will say hello to him. Yeah, no. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do you do? You get a slap. Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Shame that will care if you've let all the fans down. Can we not knock it? It's a fact. I love playing mind games. I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladici, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. The answer questions on anything religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you, disgrace! I suggest you shut up and show more football. Now then, welcome along to Team 33. It is the Friday Night Football Happy Hour. Coming up a little later on, I'll be chatting to Dermot Corrigan about the life and times of legendary goalkeeper Ricardo Zamora. He played for Espanyol, their rivals Barcelona, and their rivals Real Madrid. Along with that, he also played for Catalonia and Spain and was arrested by both the communist side and the fascist side during the Spanish Civil War. So there's a lot to get in there into that later on. But we're starting with matters a little closer to home because it was a bit of a mad week for Celtic and for Ireland as well. Celtic missing 13 starters plus their manager on Monday night because of a positive test in their camp during return from a holiday in Dubai that they didn't need to be on. And Ireland losing both Damien Duff and Alan Kelly from the coaching ticket on the same week. So there's a lot to get into. And to get into that, Oshin Cairns is on the line with me now. Oshin, let's start with Ireland. What the okay. hell do we do? And it has things. Yeah, it's a, it's been a bizarre week. It's the kind of week that Stephen Kenny definitely didn't need. I think I think everything had kind of quieted down. It seemed like a little bit the kind of aftermath of the whole Wembley video had kind of, it seemed like it had kind of, it had gone, it had kind of quietened down, but now obviously it's it's back being the top of the town. I mean, Duff and Kelly in the same week is not great. I mean, losing Duff anyway is a huge blow. I think Kelly, it seemed like Kelly was kind of, days were a little bit numbered, I suppose, after um, everything that went on. And there were so many rumours as well about him obviously being, being involved there. But I mean, it just seemed like his days were numbered there. But Duff, I think, was a huge surprise. I mean, obviously... He mentioned in the statement that he didn't, or I, I don't, I'm not sure if he mentioned the statement, sorry, it was it was mentioned that um, it was reported that he didn't obviously agree with the video and things like that. But I think everyone has come out, anyone that I've ever kind of seen speak on Duff as a coach has said that he's excellent and he's got a great future in the game. And it seemed like the players really did enjoy working with him and it's going to be a huge blow. And, and I think Kenny has a, a really a difficult job on his hands, I suppose, trying to replace someone like Duff. Um, Kelly is, a, is another thing, I suppose, but... The Duff blow, I think, is a really, really huge one. And then just in the fact that they both came, what, two days, within the space of two or three days, it's just not the kind of week that Kenny needed, especially given, obviously, what happened in March and, and the months prior to that. So, yeah, it's a tough, it's been a tough start to things, start to life as Ireland coach for, for Stephen Kenny, for sure. It uh, it couldn't have gone worse, to be fair. Um, mm-hmm. it was, with Alan Kelly, his reasonings are very fair if that is the the full story that you know he has asthma he has a family he's working abroad as well so his reasoning is perfectly acceptable it's a tough one that i have the issue with because like you said everyone has spoken about damien duff from his time at shamrock rovers to his time at celtic to his time at ireland now 
everybody has had glowing things to say about him as a coach. So to lose him, I think is a big blow and to lose him in the manner in which that it really was, it, what it boiled down to was problems with the FAI. He didn't really like being an FAI employee and that might be something that follows Ireland for the next five, 10, 15 years until we finally got out the problems that we've had since the John Delaney era, really. Yeah, it's a butterfly effect, I suppose, a little bit in the sense that it kind of all stems from that now. I, I was a little bit disappointed, I suppose. I mean, I can see Duff's reasons for doing it and obviously the FAI won't comment on them as an organisation, but there's obviously the problems have been there um, for all to see. But I was a little bit disappointed that Duff, I suppose, maybe just didn't stick with Kenny, I suppose, in the sense that would it have been, I mean, obviously the relationship had gotten to the stage where it just wasn't workable between him and the FAI. Maybe it had got there, but I would have I would have liked him to maybe have shown more loyalty to Stephen Kenny in the sense that I think, like Kenny needs him there. And like, I, I would have said that maybe Duff's inability to work with the FAI was kind of, I, I, sorry, I would have said that his, his relationship maybe with Kenny would have superseded his poor relationship perhaps with the FAI and he might, might might have battled through it but obviously listen he took a stance on it I suppose and he's 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 followed through with his stance and he's decided to 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 um to resign now obviously I think there's been talk as well that the potentially this other job he might have other jobs lined up I don't know about that now but um he probably will be in demand though there's no doubt about it because obviously he, he as you said he made a great name for himself at Rovers he's and um, people have nothing but great things to say about him in his brief spell with Ireland. So, um, yeah, it's, it's disappointing, but I would have liked to, part of me would have liked to have seen him maybe stick with Kenny or show a bit, a little bit more loyalty to Kenny, but his decision is his decision. Yeah. I think that's what it is the issue for most people. It's not that yeah. he left because of the reasons that he apparently had an issue with the FAI. It's just that this has been a, a hard start for Stephen Kenny as, as, as hard as it possibly could. And, He's left on his own accord, but I, I, let's like I'd say leave it a few months to see if he gets a new job because maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a number three at the end of the day, so maybe he wants to progress further than the number three of the Irish role and ambition. You need to have that as a young coach because you're not going to make it otherwise. <laughs> so let's turn to Celtic then. Um, so Celtic hmm. went to Dubai after losing the Old Firm Derby last or the third of January. Nineteen points behind Rangers at the time of going. Scotland goes into lockdown the day after they leave, and then now they've returned and Christopher Julian tests positive for COVID nineteen, which meant that thirteen first team members and Neil Lennon and his assistant John Kennedy had to self-isolate missing the Hibernian game that ended in a draw and they're also missing the Livingston game this weekend as well this I I actually don't know what to say about this any more than it's an absolute farce and whatever about Stephen the excitement of Stephen Kenny's reign coming into Ireland that has started poorly but Celtic's 10 in a row biggest season <laughs> in 10 years that's probably gone worse yeah I think it, it, it's bizarre to me how they didn't quite see that this was going to happen I know I know they left the day before Scotland went into lockdown but it's not like there was suddenly it's not like the lockdown came out of absolutely nowhere like it had been kind of on the horizon for for a good while obviously considering the cases are rising and, and like going over there come back like and the nature of how, how many games both in Scotland and England and stuff like that that's getting postponed due to the, the, the pandemic. It was so obvious that something was going to happen, that there was going to be an issue where one player 
maybe one player would get it, two players would get it. And now, obviously, look at the, the team they're forced to put out against Hibs. You, you mentioned they have to do it again against Livingston on the weekend. So, and when you're 19 points, well, they're now 21, but when you're 19 points behind Rangers, that's not the kind of thing you need happening. You need everything to go your way. And it's just, it, the whole thing was just a, it's a PR disaster. I mean, not just a PR disaster, it's a disaster on the field as well. Um, but yeah, I know, I know, and I know, I know Peter all came out there today and kind of apologized for it and stuff like that. And he mentioned that it had worked and it did work well last season when they went, obviously they kind of revitalized them a little bit and they went on to win the league. But I just think this, just a little bit of hindsight, I wouldn't have gone miss. And it, it's just bizarre to me that kind of the amount of people who would have had to discuss this decision and did not one of them kind of go, wait a second, is there not a global pandemic yeah. right now? we're almost 20 points behind Rangers. Maybe we should just go to, I don't know, just go to Edinburgh or something for an L trip. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. well, <laughs> Dubai of all places. I don't, I don't, it's just, it beggars belief. Yeah. It's, it's that's a, like, I touched on that before this week. It was the, the amount of people that, that, that holiday was booked three months ago. So they, they may have been able to reassess things maybe after they were absolutely yeah. getting battered off the field by Rangers and, 19 points behind and no real like fans protesting outside the stadium at games wanting Neil Lennon to be sacked and then they still nobody still had the foresight to think maybe we there might be a little bit of backlash from this if we go ahead and then and then adding some salt into the wounds Neil Lennon and Scott Brown and all the different members of the team being photographed the first day in Dubai having pints by the pool yeah, I, I suppose the biggest issue I have with this is the lack of apology because Celtic statement when it came out um, just before the Hibs game or just after the Hibs game didn't really apologize for it. It was more, I'm sorry, we kind of messed a up a little away. bit. Yeah, like, we, yeah, yeah it, it was. It wasn't sorry we did it. Sorry we went. It was um, the Nicholas Sturgeon raises a few valid points but we tried our best to social uh, social distance and we just you know it, things didn't go our way luck luck wasn't with it but it wasn't luck like you can, you make your own luck in life by not going to dubai and getting on a plane and going for pints with everyone and not staying to your bubble because clearly they, they didn't stick to their bubble if one of them caught covid19 and the rest didn't mm-hmm. yeah like i don't even know why you give like it, it, it's just unbelievable when you think about it really like considering all that's going on like the fact that they're so far behind Rangers as well like makes it I just think it makes it so much worse like this year of all years to to continue going they're chasing 10 in a row and they're 20 points behind like whatever is the 21 points behind the biggest rivals and that that now is suddenly the biggest story that and like people will look back on this I mean like they look back on the season as a complete disaster like, I think I think either way I mean now Celtic might win every game until the end. If Celtic win every game at the end of the season, I still don't think they catch Rangers. But they might have an. They, they might. I don't know. It might galvanise them or something. You know what I mean? They might have a brilliant mm-hmm. end of the season, win every game, finish just behind Rangers. But people will still look back in the season and think that they absolutely blew that in so many ways. And I know that this, the Dubai trip won't be the reason for it, but God, it won't. It won't have helped. Like no, I uh, yeah. So the nature of news moves very quickly these days. Like it seems like a couple of months ago since there was a coup in America, but that was, that was last week. Yeah. And with Celtic, it's been story after story, after story, after story from Bolingoli at the very start of the season to yeah, now there has been a crisis of some sort in the Celtic camp 
once every, I'd say once every two weeks, conservatively, probably twice a week if you're being a little bit more uh, exaggerating. But like that, that's how bad it has been for Celtic this year. In terms of this week, because this is why I actually got you on, who's had a worse week? Celtic or Ireland in terms of PR? Because you mentioned PR there. Yeah, I think in terms of... Oh, okay, so if we break it down a bit, I suppose Stephen Kenny himself has had a bad week mm. because he's lost two of his essentially right-hand right hand men. Um, Celtic have had a bad year. Well, not just this year. Celtic have had a bad stretch. And it just feels like everything just keeps getting on and on. Now, Ireland didn't have a bad... Like, the last few months were quite quiet for Kenny and Ireland. But, um, yeah, this week has not been good. I... <laughs> That's actually it's so hard because they've both had terrible it's they've both had terrible weeks. There's no there's no two ways about it really. Um I think you could probably go with Celtic because it's essentially it's kind of an international incident in a way. Like at least <laughs> I know Ireland like at least for Ireland it's just kind of Ireland fans that are annoyed at it. Like mm-hmm. but with Celtic fans, it seems like it's it's a pretty generalized footballing issue that people are kind of thinking that they took advantage of of a situation and kind of I mean like didn't follow rules and considering like when you consider all that said when you consider all the games that are being called off and things like that like people are people are angry at that anyway but it's going to happen and now for something like that for Celtic to do something like that that will only like accelerate the rate I suppose at which not games will be called off but I suppose they're going to have to put out second string sides and things like that and who knows what the, the effects of that are going to be so I think maybe in isolation Ireland but I think as a whole probably Celtic have had the worst week and like it's one of those things where you'd wonder how badly this is taken if they're tw- I know now but they probably wouldn't go there if they're 21 points ahead but if they are say if the tables are turned and Celtic are top and Rangers are far behind and this happens to Celtic I mean it's still not a great look but it's probably it's not it doesn't get as compounded I don't think mm-hmm. as it would had they been flying at top of the league beating teams week in week out Um. But yeah, I think I think as a whole Celtic, but I think probably in isolation, um, Ireland. Yeah, so Celtic shouldn't have gone there, regardless of where they're in the table. But it certainly doesn't help that yeah they're doing awful in the league as well. And I suppose if you're looking generally, it's a it's a self entitlement that kind of drives it home for Celtic for me. It's they got home, they didn't really apologize for it, and the Hibs players justifiably didn't really want to play that game because they were like, well, I mean, the testing works to a certain extent, but how many more players in that squad, Shane Duffy was playing. How do do you know that he doesn't have it? Like, I know he, he left the, the Dubai trip a little earlier, but it was almost like Celtic couldn't see Hibbs side of the story when it came to it, or even, even the Scottish government side of the story. And I think what, what drives over the line for Celtic having the worst week than Ireland is the fact that travel from Dubai to Scotland is now bad. Like single-handedly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. one yeah. football club has caused that. They've by, transcended the sport. They have. They've, they've yeah. actually had an impact on the country. Whereas I suppose, like, what, what makes it worse for Ireland is the fact that every time there's a story, it's never good. Yeah. And I think it, it seems like with Kenny, it's everything is amplified with Kenny. Mm. Like, it feels like everyone kind of not piles on it, but it just seems like... I don't know. It just, it, it seems like everything is more scrutinized now that it's Kenny. Like it, it didn't feel like it was that kind of under the microscope as much when it was, when stuff, like I know there was no major, major issues. I can't think of any major, major issues off the top of my head with Mick McCarthy, but maybe is that just the fact that it's because they weren't 
in the spotlight as much and I can't quite remember them. It's, Do you know what I mean? Because it feels like everything Kenny does is suddenly like, and there's always this slant put on it in a way that, oh, they're out to get Kenny or Kenny's on the ropes or Kenny's in trouble. And you're like, yeah. well, he, he, what? I know he obviously hasn't had a great start to the season and two, like, but is he in trouble? Like, what? he's in trouble because of outside influences maybe, but like, I don't think his job is in trouble. Like, you know, you have to give him the World Cup campaign and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, so it just feels as though everything he does is kind of, is super super scrutinized and it's like people kind of want a reason to kind of go oh well he's out of his depth or he's not ready or you know what i mean like so it's it for with kenny it seems like it's it's like multiplied any kind of any kind of small issue is multiplied like i, I wonder I, I really do wonder how had mccarthy or even martin o'neill before him done the the had that wembley gate thing i really do wonder how that would have would have been received in Ireland or how it would have kind of would the aftermath have been as bad had it been one of our previous coaches who kind of instigated it I suppose I don't think it would have for, firstly for the fact that Stephen Kenny was always going to be a little bit more scrutinized and criticized and everyone questioning his decision because of who he is and because yeah. of where he's come from secondly definitely doesn't help that we haven't scored a goal yet that yeah that, I suppose the yeah the, the, the performances on the pitch are not doing yeah, that, that definitely doesn't help. But even Daryl Horgan, who was on with us on the football show a couple of days back, said that he felt that there was a lot of people just waiting in the wings to pile on, and that's what it was. Yes. Like there, there, are, there are certainly people who have loud voices in the media at the minute who were waiting for the tiniest little uh, mess up to pile on and say, this is because Stephen Kenny's out of his depth and he should never have gotten the job and really just confirm their own biases going into it when Stephen Kenny originally got the job. But hopefully in the next, when's the next qualifier? A couple of months time? What month is it even, is it? I don't even know. It's January. So March, I think, is, isn't there games in March? Yeah, March. So two months time. So a lockdown and a half more. That's that's a good way of looking at time, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. Time Time doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't work in days. It doesn't work in dates. It just works in yeah. when, when. It would be interesting to see, though, how, like, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, though, how, like, will it, the pandemic again be affecting those games? Like, because they they made an absolute mockery of the last international break, like and if it's God. like that again, like all I want is for Ireland to have a full strength team. That that's just not going to happen. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, it, at least Aaron Connolly is getting a little bit of form. Jason Malumbi might get a little bit of form now. He's now that he's moved to the championship again, and yeah, that'll be good to get him get games. He, but I think Eid is out. I'm not sure how long he'll be out for. Um, but Jason now yeah, playing a little bit of ball anyway, isn't he? Yeah, I actually, I, I, I've seen that they, because Derby are struggling to pay their wages and they might let him go. So, not let him go as in, you know what I mean, sell him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think West Ham and Burnley Red have been interested. So, that'd be good, great if he was to get a, a move to the Premier League. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Anyway, Celtic have definitely had the worst week than Ireland. That's, I'm going to confirm yes. it for now. Oshio and Karen, thanks for joining me today. And thanks, man. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. All right, so we're turning to a man who has played for both Real Madrid and Barcelona, Barcelona and Espanyol, Spain and Catalonia, and he was voted the best Spanish goalkeeper of the 20th century. We're, de- we're talking the life and times of Ricardo Zamora, better known as El Domino, and the man behind that famous Capital race save. Uh, I'm joined on the line by Dermot Corrigan, who wrote a piece on the goalkeeper in the blizzard now a few months back. Dermot, thanks for joining me. Yeah, hey, Andrew, looking forward to it. So Zamora wouldn't be a massively household name. I think people would know who he is, but how famous is he in, in Spain in comparison? 
Yeah, he he's pretty much remembered as the best goalkeeper of, of all time in Spain or the most famous. Iker Casillas might have a um, more recently might have something to say about that, but generally he is the the Spanish goalkeeper over the years. Like the award for the the best the least goals conceded by a, a goalkeeper in each season in a Liga is called the Zamora, similar to Pichichi for for the top scorer. And Zamora is um, yeah the the first he was kind of like the first celebrity Spanish football player as well. He he. I guess we'll get into it, but he he was much more than just a goalkeeper. Like he was a the best known sports person in Spain of the time. He was friends with with actors, with politicians, with aristocrats. He lived a, a good life. He lived an amazing life, really. Um, and for all of that, he, he would still be pretty well remembered um, on, on all sides of of Spanish society. Yeah. So one theme that I'm trying to maybe touch on over the next couple of weeks is the. Uh, hand in hand in which way in which sport runs with weird times in history and Zamora really played in pro- probably the weirdest stage of Spanish history in recent memory anyway and he he played during the civil war and throughout it and he also lived in exile for a couple of years as well so his life and his sporting life go hand in hand with the turmoil that Spain was going through at that point in time but starting off he grew up in Barcelona and he started his life for Espanyol as opposed to Barcelona, did he? Yeah, he was, um, he was a bit of a, a prodigy. Like a, as a kid, um, he started to play very young, like as a young teenager for the men's team of the city's university and was spotted straight away. So everybody, like football was only kind of getting going in, in Spain at that stage um, would have been like the, just before the 1920s, the 19-teens. Um, so he was called up by Espanyol at 15 to, to play a game and almost immediately, you know, everybody realized that this kid was, was a, an amazing keeper, was the best keeper around. Um, so he, you know, kept goal as they won the Copa del Rey final in 1919, played for Spain at the 1920 Olympics when Spain won a silver medal. And that the 1920 Olympics for Spain was pretty big for their football team. It football became a, they won the silver medal, as I said, and football became a kind of household sport at that stage. Maybe they became kind of celebrities. It was the first time that Spain had done something collectively as a, as a Spanish team. And he was already, even though he was very young, he was one of the stars of that team. What was his background in terms of his um, family life? From what you read, his, his dad was a doctor or worked in medicine. So was he sort of upper to middle class or was he very much a working class kid? Or where did he lie? Yeah, like he, he's... He's as well connected with a, a time of Spanish history. And again, like I'm more of a, a football writer than, than a historian, but this stuff is very interesting to me. And I, I did as much research as I could trying to find out about it. Uh, and at that time, there was a huge amount of immigration into, into Barcelona, into Catalonia from, or into the Catalan capital from other parts of Spain. So he, he would have been fairly, fairly typical of middle-class people who moved from, I'm not sure which part of Spain, maybe Murcia to, uh, into, to Barcelona in order to take advantage of the opportunities, the economic opportunities and the social opportunities that, that were there at the time. So he would have come from a, a pretty well-to-do, not a super rich background, but a well-to-do background. Um, yeah, his dad worked in, in medicine. There is, there is some kind in the, in the sources, as we say, or looking back at the, the different histories that are written of it, biographies written of it, there's a little bit of confusion over the exact circumstances of his father and his mother and maybe that they weren't together. I'm not, not sure about that. Um, but he he grew up in a uh, didn't wasn't lacking for money at the time, but mm. was out of the house playing football from a very early age and wouldn't have been 
um, yeah, there was a thing where his dad wanted him to study medicine, wanted to, and he actually gave up football for a little bit in order to to study medicine, but he couldn't stay away from it. And from it, from his personality and from everything that that had to do with football, when he started getting the recognition and the the money as well that came with it, then he he was sure that football was the career for him. Yeah, and I suppose the reason I ask is because. Again, with these regimes and with the fascism that was going on, and also the communism that was fighting against that in the country, his social standing kind of comes in and plays a role in what happens in his life. But after the 1920 Olympics, that's when he really started to just become a household name when it comes to it. And I suppose celebrity status back then is a lot different than what it is now. Yeah, like he was well aware of his of his worth as well, which I think fits into what you're saying there. Like at that stage, Barca or football players in general were, it was kind of moving towards professionalization in Spain, but La Liga hadn't really started, well, La Liga hadn't started yet until 1929, 1928-29. So the football was still kind of getting going and the players wouldn't have been paid very much or mightn't have been that well known outside of their, their own club. But lots of people were going to the games and after the, the 1920 World Cup, especially the attendances, grew a lot. So football was generating a lot of money, but the players weren't getting it. And he wasn't having any of that. Um, if there was money around, then he, he felt, and fair enough, he, he deserved it and he wanted to get it. So that led to him turning down an offer from Hans Gamper, the, the famous kind of founder of Barcelona, who was the vice president then, to move to Espanyol, who were the, even at, at that stage as well, it wasn't quite as, as obvious as it is now, but Espanyol were the team of the, the kind of immigrants, the people, or the migrants, the people who had moved into to Barcelona from from other cities, so more of a working class as well kind of idea around Espanol. But they had the money. Yeah, Barcelona would have been more kind of seen as cosmopolitan, international, whereas Espanol were working class and people who worked in the factories that maybe the Barcelona directors owned. Again, that's quite a simplification of the situation, but that's the idea. But they, Espanol had the money to, to sign him and they attracted him across the divide and he started to play for Espanol. At this stage, I'm not sure how d deep you went in terms of the newspaper reports, but are we seeing uh, an insight into what uh, Zamora's political standing is? Because I think that's where things start to get interesting. And there's two sides playing him at one, at one point in time. So he grew up in Catalonia. He played for a Catalonia 11 as well at one point. But he also plays for Spain and says that he's really proud to be a Spaniard. So where does he fall in at this stage where he's playing for Barcelona or, and moving to Espanyol and he's still living in what would have been a, a Catalan stronghold. Yeah, I, I don't, I think he would be very, um, or again, this is the impression that you get from looking back on it and reading some of the stuff that they wrote as well later in his life that he, he wasn't that interested in, in politics. Like he, he wouldn't have seen that big of a divide that you have to be either Catalan or Spanish, or you have to be either, like he, I don't think he got involved in, or he tried to stay as much as possible. It wasn't that easy at that time, but he tried to stay as much as possible out of out of organized politics. And he he was up for he was on the side of Zamora more than on the side of of Catalans or Spanish or left or right or whatever. And he was opportunist, you could say to an extent, or you could just say you know he was making the most of, of his situation for himself and why not. But he people maybe over time tried to attach their own ideas to him or. Uh, use him as a symbol for a cause that they wanted to promote, but he didn't really want to get into that. If someone paid him money, he would go along and be there. He tried as much as possible to not to be uh, uh, not to be used by other people for their own means. If mm. you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's interesting because we're talking about something that happened in 1930s, and 
over the last five, ten years, there's definitely been a rise in Catalan pride and a push for that. And we've seen like Pep Guardiola wearing um, the uh, flower on his on his jumper in the Premier League, and the the tension between Pique and Ramos and all these things. And um, you do see that as well that certain newspapers who are falling either way are attaching these players, but maybe like Zamora, they actually don't want to play on that as well. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with you on that. Like PK is the most obvious one who used to get a lot of abuse from abuse is probably a bit strong, but he was whistled while playing for Spain. You know, he'd won the world cup with Spain, won a Euros as well. Um, but because he, and he hadn't even positioned himself, PK was very kind of clever about it or nuanced about it in what he said on that, that, what I remember him saying, Annie, was that he was in favour of Catalan people's right to decide their own future, but not necessarily in favour of Catalan Catalonia seceding from Spain and leaving and becoming its own independent country. Now, th those type of nuances, you know, I, to me that sounds very sensible. That you know, even that it would be difficult to argue with that, but uh, those type of nuances went over a lot of people's heads, or people didn't want to get involved in nuances. They were just more interested in pushing whatever ideas they had beforehand, using him as a symbol. So either people in Catalonia were like, Pique's on our side, the Catalan nationalists, um, look how he's getting, how badly he's getting treated by Madrid. That's how all Catalan people get treated badly. Again, a very simplistic way of looking at it. Or the more conservative or nationalist people in, in Madrid or around Spain who who wanted, who didn't want Catalonia to, to leave or who were, again, it's, it's, it's a complicated one for me to get into, but they, mm -hmm. they were... It was easy enough for them to whistle PK to show how they were real Spanish patriots, you know, to, yeah. to be very simplistic about it. Yeah, and I suppose it, it just comes into the whole how football is intrinsically linked with these because people are obsessed with football and they like to, to link their political ideas to it and hope that their heroes fall into whatever bracket they fall into. But yeah. um, 1936, that's when it gets really interesting for Ricardo Zamora. Tell us about the German press and what they were reporting at that stage. Yeah, uh, just make sure I get it right for 1930s. Yeah, there was a FIFA Congress in Berlin in, in 1936, and that was just after um, Zamora had made this miraculous last-minute save in the Copa del Rey final, which had photos of which had gone around the world. He, he was playing for Madrid at that stage against his, his former club, Barcelona, and they won the final. And it was reported that he had died, that just 35, that he had died because the, the Civil War had just broken out, and there was chaos in, in Spain. People within Spain and especially outside of Spain had no real idea of, of what was going on. There were people, you know, there was there was violence going on for sure. People were dying. And it was reported by Jules Rime, the, the FIFA president at the, the Congress, or he asked the people, the delegates from different countries present there to stand up in memory of, of a deceased sportsman, a remarkable player and a great representative of our sport. So everybody stood up and, you know, pa passed on their, their respects because he was super famous. He it was like uh, one of the most famous footballers in, in the world at the time. Everybody knew who he was, and for him to have, have passed away um, was a hu huge event and was something that they marked. Within Spain as well, you know, people were wondering what had happened to him, and it was reported that that he had been... It was an eyewitness account claiming that his body had been seen in a ditch and that he'd been assassinated by communists. That was seized upon by the, the fascist side, saying that, you know, our nation's goalkeeper was a, a victim or a, a martyr from the of the Marxists. And there was even a mass held for the repose of his soul in, in Valladolid, which was held by the rebels at that side. So they, he'd become a... 
while he wasn't dead, people thought he was dead, he'd become a, a kind of used by propagandists on the, the rebel side, on the, the right wing side to, to, to further their cause or, or to win over the, the people because, you know, he was, so many football fans loved him both in Madrid and in Barcelona that if they could claim him for their side, then it was going to be very useful mm. for, for propaganda. But it turned out that he, he was neither dead nor abroad as another story in the in the in Mundo Deportivo put it in Catalonia, but he'd gone into hiding because he was worried about what might happen to him because of his associations on all sides. It was a time especially where you had to be um and this maybe goes to the crux of the story that, that I wrote that you had to identify yourselves with either left or right. And he didn't identify with either. He didn't he didn't want to be pigeonholed on, on to either side or to, to have to to, to see things in such a simplistic way. And when a war breaks out and people are taking sides, that's a very dangerous position to be in. Yeah, and uh, at this point in time, he was also the sports editor of Yeah, which would have been the Catholic Church newspaper, almost right wing at the stage, would have been correct saying? Yeah, like, it, yeah, for sure. Like, it would have Catholic Church associated with the with Franco, with the rebels, with the people who were trying to take down the, the left-wing government, which was, and did take down the left-wing government. So he, again... He liked the idea of being a sports editor of a paper. He was friends with some of the people who who ran the newspaper, is my understanding of it. But I don't think he he wasn't writing um, he wasn't writing editorials on a political line. He was just a sports guy. It happened to be the newspaper, and you know, as a journalist who's written for different people o over the years, you know, you you don't want to be particularly associated sometimes with everything that that's written in the paper that that you write for. So uh, I can understand that, um, but I can also understand why people would. You know, again, if you're looking at it in a simplistic, straight line kind of way, why that would be troublesome for for him in that in that moment. One interesting point of his life, and something you kind of touched on there, was how uh, he sort of he was he was for Zamora, and he was very much a a self-standing man who was made the most of his celebrity status. So, what would it have been uh, considered in Spain back then? for somebody to be pushing products like would it would have been accepted or would it have been something that would have been frowned upon as sort of a capitalistic way of thinking yeah I, again i don't be going on my impression on that but I, I i don't think he was super popular i don't think people had a maybe like some really ideological people might have had a problem with it but the vast majority of, of football fans or my take on it anyway the vast majority of people in spain weren't that weren't that pushed about it. He was, you know, he was super popular. He was in, he advertised Anise. He was um, in films. You know, he, people went to see those films. It wasn't a, it wasn't a case that he was just, he was just right-wing people, if you can be that simplistic about it, went to those films. Everybody would have liked those films. Mm -hmm. Everybody drank the, the Anise. It didn't really cause a problem for him, I think, until the political conflict got so tense and so bad that, then people started to to look for to look for reasons not to like somebody, but I don't think that. Again, this is just my personal view. I don't think that it was such a case that everybody was like Zamora. That's a capitalist. I won't support his football team. You know, yeah. like uh, Zamora is a great goalkeeper. He's an interesting guy. He's a charismatic guy. And maybe I don't agree with every political thing that he says, or I don't agree with the newspaper that he writes for. But geez, did you see that save at the weekend? Like, thank God he's the, well, they wouldn't have said thank God. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, isn't it great that he's this our goalkeeper for Spain and we all support the Spanish football team? The thing that caught my eye about this story when I was reading it was um, your line about how 
he was a man that was awarded and arrested by both sides. So, yeah. the, 1936, things are getting a little bit heated between the two sides. There's also a lot going on over in the other side of Europe. Um, what leads to Zamora's arrest? Yeah, so he went in hiding when, when the war broke out, <clears throat> but he, he was picked up um, by militias who were hold, like the Spanish, Madrid, and again, I'm not a historian, but my understanding of it is that Madrid was in total chaos at the time. But the, it started to be organised by volunteer squads um, on the who were in su support of the the government of the time, which was being like, like, which was being attacked by, by the rebels. So Zamora was brought to a prison within Madrid um, in October 1936, and the other prisoners would have been people on on the the right side or people who were they were worried who were going to be um, rebels or who might you know try to try to take down the government. So but Zamora wasn't, he wasn't really one of them. He, again, he was, he was kind of stuck in the middle. So he was popular both with the, the prisoners who, the right-wing guys who, who were in the prison and also with the left-wing guards who were looking after him. And eventually um, he was freed from the prison or he was able to get out of the prison and he escaped to, still wasn't really safe for him to be hanging around in Madrid. So he escaped to France. He spent a couple of years in France where he played football um, lived a decent enough life on the Riviera in in France as well, amongst a community of other refugees. Now he was living amongst a kind of left-wing environment. He was friends with those guys as well, got on with those guys. And that didn't sit well as the conflict went on in Spain and as the, the right-wing side, the General Franco's troops won the war and took over. Suddenly it wasn't good that the, the symbol of the Spanish football team, the best Spanish goalkeeper, um, maybe the best Spanish player, most fam famous Spanish footballer, uh, was not playing his part in the 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 side which had won the war so he was persuaded to, to come back to to spain and came back to madrid but again there were still people there who, who weren't very he wasn't very popular with, with some of the people there so he ended up in prison again um so he had been in prison in prison by the left-wing side at the start of the war then when he came back to france came back from france he was in prison by the right-wing side Again, it didn't last too long, and he, he got out of um, prison soon after it. P people just didn't really know what to do with him. Like he, he didn't fit into the, again, I'll go back over this, but he didn't fit in on the left or on the right. So both sides in prison, and both sides let him out because the, he, it wasn't that he had actually really done anything wrong, but they just weren't, didn't really trust him, or he wasn't really fitting into what they thought as, of as the, the right behavior to take or the right stance to take in that minute. But the... The Franco regime wanted to keep him on their side. So once he got out of, of the prison, he started to... He was given a job really coaching the Atletico Madrid team, which at that stage was called Atletico Aviación, was the team of the Air Force. And he was the, the manager of that team, which turned out to have a... Uh, with the support of the regime, got a lot of really good players on their side and were a successful team in the post-war period. And then he goes on to manage Spain as well. Was he as good a manager as he was a goalkeeper? No, I don't think so. Um, again, yeah, more I'm more comfortable speaking about about this than the the political part of it. But I I don't think so. He was again, he was very charismatic guy. Um, he was a, a leader of men in a way. But I don't think he was that into like the nitty gritty of the tactics. Training every day wasn't kind of what he really wanted to get involved in. So he was the won the the league with Atletico because they had by far the best players in in the league. They were able to take a lot of the the players who had signed up to the war were on the side, the Franco side, which won the war, were then kind of moved from 
the army into the, the football team to play for, for Atletico. Then as things kind of went back to normal and as other teams got stronger as well, um, they didn't win the league. And then, you know, he had time as in charge of the Spanish national team. He went to Colombia, I think, as well. He got an offer to go to, to Colombia, got more money for there. So he left Spain to go there, which, again, didn't go down so well with, with some people in Spain. Was the Espanol coach later on in his career. But again, being a he was better as being a, a celebrity, being a, an ambassador, more a Bobby Charlton type figure than a Alex Ferguson type figure, I think it's fair to say. Right. And just before we finish up on Zamora, what's his impact then on Spanish football, in, in your opinion? He's had a he's had an unusual impact on, on Spanish football in that he is a, a super famous player. Um, Zamora, as I said, the the trophy for the best goalkeeper every year in La Liga is named after him. People still remember his his look, like the the hat that he wore, the the jersey that he wore. He he made a huge impact as a player. But because he's not you know a, he's not really associated as a superhero of Madrid. He's not like Alfredo Di Stefano or Hento or more recently. People like Michel or Butragueño, who won big trophies with Madrid, even in, in recent years, Zidane or Figo or Cristiano Ronaldo. He's not in that line of, of Madrid heroes, and neither is he at, at Barcelona because he went up on to play for Madrid as well later in his career and play for Spain. He's not remembered in the Barcelona club history as one of the the, the, the outstanding figures of their history. He might be the best goalkeeper to have played for, for either club, you, you could argue. Again, it's going back a long time, so it's different to compare over the years. But he's, you know, the the top goalkeeper of each of their era who, who played for both clubs, but isn't remembered as, as a superhero of either Madrid or Barcelona. Again, because he was so difficult to pigeonhole or didn't fit into the the narratives or the stories that, that both clubs now want to tell about their histories. Yeah, I think that's the key phrase is that it's the story that they want to tell. I think if anybody's read Sid Lowe's book about the uh, fear and loathing in Real Madrid against uh, Barcelona, then you'll get a good insight into the sort of propaganda that the two clubs like to put up, put across to build their build their brand, what they are. Just before we finish up, then um, La Liga this year, it's, it's almost wide open. Hmm mainly because most teams are pretty bad and is that the impression I'm getting from yeah it's a it's been a very strange season and um, it's been there are still very strange times in you know that we're all living through in, in Spain for sure and neither Barcelona nor Madrid are going through <clears throat> a good moment even if Covid hadn't hit and even if um, things had gone on as normal it wasn't a vintage Madrid team last year or a vintage Madrid vintage Barcelona team Barcelona had all the the chaos with the Messi saying he wanted to leave, the president resigning in October. That still hasn't really been sorted. Um, still huge financial problems at the club. Coman is doing a decent enough job. You know, he's introducing young players who've, who've done very well. Pedri is playing phenomenally well at, at 18 years of age. Anzu Fadi before he got injured as well. You know, they they are already kind of moving through their transition, but they're very inconsistent. When Messi plays really well, they can beat anybody. If Messi's not on his game. Their teams can can take advantage of it and, and take advantage of the, the problems in the squad. Madrid as well ha- still have that old guard of of Benzema, Cruz, um, Sergio Ramos, who are still again on their day can, can beat anybody. They've beaten Atletico and beaten Barcelona in the Liga, but they can also lose to Alaves or they drew at the weekend at, at Osasuna. So Atletico Madrid are coming through as not not a super team or not um, packed with with individual quality really, but. They're the, the most consistent team. Luis Suarez is scoring a lot of goals for them up front. He's been settling very well for them and is making the difference. So Atletico, they're not as good maybe as the Atletico teams of of three or four years ago that should really have won a, a Champions League. 
but they're the the most consistent team and they look like favourites mm. to win it at the minute. Yeah, and they they signed Moussa Dembele as well on loan, didn't they, from from Leon? I... Yeah, that's I'm not sure if it's been fully confirmed yet, but it, it looks like he's definitely going to arrive. And um, they needed a striker like Diego Costa. They they let go. He injury problems and just wear and tear. He, he wasn't able to to work as and personality as well. It didn't really work as as Suarez's backup. So the idea is that Dembele will come in, be able to play either alongside Suarez or more likely to to come on later in games when Suarez maybe doesn't want to last the 90 minutes in every game or if you want to rest him in cup games and stuff like that. And the idea that he can use his um, his pace, his physicality, scored a lot of goals for Celtic and for Leon as well. Um, so they're hoping that that'll work out well for them um, for the next six months. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he gets on at a, a higher standard again because it was phenomenal for Celtic. And again, he sort of he pushed on again under Leon. So I, I do hope that he kind of burst through onto the scene at Atletico. Just uh, one final one that has to be asked. Lionel Messi, he's free to talk to clubs in January. Any signs of him leaving Barcelona? Uh, really difficult to know. Everybody's fascinated by talking about it. He His most recent interview, he did a very good interview on Spanish TV <coughs> with a, a, a kind of cultural interviewer, not a cultural, cultural political interviewer, not a football guy. Um, and he said loads of times in that interview that he's going to make his mind up at the end of the season. So it depends a lot on who wins the presidential elections, how the team goes over the rest of the season. <coughs> Excuse me, will make a big impact on his decisions. I don't think he knows himself. That seemed to come across from it. He he doesn't really know what to do. Um, but he's looked a lot happier over the last couple of weeks. I think he gets on well with Coman. Coman is uh, maybe not the ideal manager for Barcelona in a normal season or for any top club in a normal season, but he's doing a pretty good job in these really strange circumstances. It seems as connected with Messi and the emergence of people like Pedri, like Anzu Fadi, who are on the same wavelength as Messi, who Messi can see is going to help Barca to, to win trophies over the next couple of years if they continue to progress, makes it probably more likely that he will stay. But again, it depends on what kind of offers he gets and you know what happens over the next... Things are pretty crazy at the moment. Trying to predict what's going to happen in the future is, is difficult. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I was I was watching the take take the ball, pass the ball documentary over the weekend again, and just the watching the development of that great Barcelona team was uh, it makes you ponder for what could have been if they had a continued on, but it also makes you realise the impact that the president has on the club because that's exactly what's what's gone wrong at Barcelona over the last couple of years. But uh, Dermot Corrigan, fascinating stuff as always. Thanks very much for joining me today. Cool. Cheers, and I really enjoyed it. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. All right, so that is all we have time for on this evening's Team 33. Thanks as ever to you for listening. We'll be back again next week with some more football chat. But if you want to listen back to any of that podcast, you can find it in the OTB Podcast Network available in the OTB Sports app. That's the best place to get it. Or one, Spotify, iTunes, and then wherever you get your podcasts as well. Subscribe to the Team 33 channel if you want to get notified every single time a new podcast is live. It is also available on the YouTube channel as well, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. We'll be back again, same time, same place next week. But until then, take away, Johan. Get down.